Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. Uh, how many of you have Alexa in your house? How many, how many people have an Alexa in your home? Give me a wave of your hand. I only mean, there's two of us. You're missing out. Never have to turn a light out ever again. It's awesome. But on the Alexa in our, our kitchen, we have an Alexa in our kitchen, and uh, on there every now and then it will come up and have a command, do this, and ask this question. And, uh, and it always asks uh, questions with, with jokes, ask for the joke of the day or ask for this specific joke. Now, there's, there's a joke that is probably as old as time itself. It's not a great joke. Why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side or for some foul reason? And, and it's been around forever. And like, like, like COVID, there are a whole heap of variants of that joke that have shown up over, over the years. And so what will happen is Alexa will pop up one of those what cross the road jokes and I'll always ask and it'll always give me the lame answer. There, there are four that I, I wrote down and uh, I, I don't think any of them are particularly good, but it'd be interesting to know which one you thought was the best out of these uh, jokes uh, the first one is this. Why did the skeleton cross the road? Because he had a bone to pick with the chicken. Why did the chicken cross the road? To get to the idiot's house. Knock, knock. Who's there? The chicken. Why did the chewing gum cross the road? It was stuck to the foot of the chicken. Why did Darth Vader cross the road? To get to the dark side. Oh, pretty bad. And as a dad, I feel totally entitled to tell these jokes. It's sort of like my mandate. As soon as I become a father, you've got to tell dad jokes. So I don't know which one you think, one, two, three, or four, uh, but uh, vote on that when it comes up. We'll find out at the end of the service. But here's the reason, the, the reality. It doesn't matter whether you're a skeleton, a chicken, a piece of gum, or Darth Vader. If you're at the crosswalk, you can only cross the road when the sign actually says walk. Now, last week, we began this two-week series on the crosswalk, and we actually talked about that. We looked at the command, walk, and we answered the question, why did the disciples cross the road? Because Jesus said, go. Matthew 28, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, an equally pertinent question is, why didn't the disciples cross the road? And why did they stay in Jerusalem? Acts chapter 1 verse 4 gives us this reason. And the reason is because Jesus said, wait, 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 wait. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus told the disciples in one moment, go everywhere. But then he said to them, before you go everywhere, I don't want you to go anywhere. So the Great Commission technically doesn't start with a go, it starts with a stop. 
It doesn't start with a walk. It begins with a wait. It doesn't start with a go everywhere. It begins with a don't go anywhere. And the reality is God is saying, it doesn't start with you go and change everyone. It's saying, God's saying, do you stop and allow me to change you? That the change has to happen inside of us. In Luke chapter 24, behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. Jesus said, I'm going to send the promise of the father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What was the promise of the father? The promise of the father was given in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would show up on people, but it would usually show up on individuals for specific tasks and usually only on priests or specific men or women of God. And the promise of the Father in Joel chapter 2 says, it shall come to pass afterwards that I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. I'm still trying to hold on to the vision part. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So the promise of the father is that God would not just put the Holy Spirit on select individuals for select purposes, but God would pour his Spirit out on all flesh, that the infilling of the Holy Spirit is available to everybody in the room. It's not just available to me because I'm a pastor. It's not just available to Pastor Dan or Pastor Waldy or Dr. Anna or anybody. The Holy Spirit is available to everybody in the room. God wants to pour his Spirit out upon all flesh. Now, after the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up with the 11 and he said, this is what the prophet Joel was talking about. Acts chapter 1 said, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will at this time you restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority. So so it tells us here that the Father has fixed times and seasons in his own authority. And and Jesus is saying, listen, you're not really going to change his opinion on that. Your your doctrine or your uh, religious affiliation or your opinion or your ideas or even your demands are not going to change the things that the Father has placed in his authority. He said, I'll change that. I'll do that. You don't have to worry about that. I've got that organized. And no matter what you think, God's not going to bow to your opinion. God is not setting his agenda based on my ideas or your ideas. God has these things in the palm of his hand. I think that's important for any of us who try to put God in a box. I've done that. I'm guilty. I'm guilty if God wouldn't do this, and then God did it just to spite me. I put God in a box, and then God's come and blown up the box, stood on the box, teared up the box, set the box on fire, sent the Holy Spirit wind to blow the, the ashes away from the burnt box and had me just standing there go, okay, I, I, God's God. I'm going to let him do the things that he wants to do. The times and the seasons are in his hands. The book of Isaiah chapter 43 says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So God says, listen, I'm in control of the seasons. 
Now, our responsibility is to try to read what God is doing. Our responsibility is not to tell God what to do, but our responsibility is to try to read what God is doing. It's called discernment. That's where prophecy comes in. And so we want to be able to prophetically read the room and say, God, what are you doing here? at Word of Life in this season. God, what are you doing at Word of Life in this season? You've told us in the Scripture not to remember the former things. In other words, the past was great in the past, but all the past is past. In January, we celebrated 75 years of a church, 75 fifth birthday, we celebrated, did it well, honored all the men and women that have gone before us in the past and give us the platform that we build on today. But our job is not just to focus on what happened. Our job is to see that as a platform to launch off, to remember not the former things, but to have a prophetic insight in God. What are you doing? And keeping our spirit alive to what God is doing today in 2023, in 24, in 25, and in the years to come. That's our responsibility. Now, in March, two months later, I did a series on faith. It started out to be a two-week series, ended up four. I got stuck into the life of Abraham and preached all through pretty much all of his miracles. And the last Sunday, the fourth one, only supposed to be having two, we did four. So you've got to remember, I've been in this series for four weeks. I've been studying that passage for four weeks, probably a little longer in the passage. And so I remember it was a Saturday night before the last message I'd finished it, sent my notes out. I closed my computer and I was upstairs at our house just praying, just praying over Sunday and because I'm ready to preach the last part of the series. And I felt the Holy Spirit as clear as anything say, how old was Abraham when I first told him to go? And I said, 75, because that's where we started the series. God was like, how old is your church this year? Oh, 75. That's a little bit spooky. And I felt like the Holy Spirit say, yeah, you're just beginning. Everything that's happened to this point is a launching pad for everything I want you to do in the future. And God is telling us as a church, I want you to go. I want you to go into all the world. I want you to change the planet. This is our season to go. It's our season to go. Then as I was preparing this message, I, 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 I read this passage in Verse 6 of, of Acts. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, Stott, who was a theologian, said, the verb restore shows that they were expecting a political and territorial kingdom. The noun Israel, that they were expecting a national kingdom. And that the adverbial clause at this moment, that they were expecting it to immediate establishment. So they're expecting the, the reestablishment of authority and the kingdom of Israel to be set up there. And then they thought Jesus was going to do it in a, uh, in a tangible way. And Jesus, listen, my father has got that all in control. Leave it in my father's hands. That at a time Israel will be reestablished as a nation, established as a state, established as a territory, have their own government. 75 years ago in 1948, in May of 1948, Israel was rebirthed as a nation. In some ways, that 
question that they were asking back there all those years ago happened 75 years ago. I'm not sure what all that means prophetically, but all I know is that we turned 75. God said miracles happen at 75. Israel, 75 years of age. I don't know about you, but that gives my prophetic muscles goosebumps on my goosebumps to say, God, what are you doing in our generation? What are you about to pour out here at Word of Life? And it gets me unbelievably pumped up and excited. And obviously a lot more excited than you are today. I'm not into just math and numbers and trying to read things in, but that just gets a bit spooky. It goes from being a coincidence, I think, to a God incidence. And and even though we're not trying to tell what God to do, we do need to sit back and prophetically read the room. God, what are you doing? Whatever you're doing, we here at Word of Life Church, we are ready for you to do it. We are ready for you to do it. Here I am, God, send me. God, I want to make myself available. Here we are as a church, God. We, we're not the only church in town. We're not the best church in town, but we are a great church. We have amazing people and we're an available church. We are open to what you're doing. We're not camping on the past. We're not settling on the past. We are rising up and saying, come on, God, use us. Do something significant in our life. And I don't care if you're 95 years of age or nine years of age or five years of age, God wants to use you in his kingdom today in a powerful way. This is our day. This is our time. This is our moment. This is our season. This is our destiny. Acts 1 verse 8 says, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses. Just think about that. Peter has just denied Jesus to some girls. Just a few weeks earlier, Peter's like, I don't know him. Have no idea who you're talking about. The disciples, when Jesus was crucified, they just bolted. They just just went and hid someone back to their jobs. Even when Jesus was resurrected and showed up, they still doubted that it had happened. This is like not a great group of men and women that you would think that you would build your church on, but Jesus looked them in the face and said, you will be witnesses. I know you deny me to a little girl, but you're going to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the outermost parts of the earth. They lacked absolute backbone, but God said, you're up to the task. They were full of fear and insecurity, but God said, you are up to the task. What they thought was unbelievably impossible, God said, with me, all things are possible. I just need your availability. The object is not to be overwhelmed with the challenge, but the object is to rise up and take the challenge. Jerusalem, that's our city, that's our home. We're in our heart for the house offering season. We started taking it up uh, last Sunday. We'll do over the next two or three Sundays to remind us as we give. And this is our church's opportunity to invest in the vision. We want to build a great house. We, We do this offering once a year. It's not a weekly thing. We just do it once a year where we rally the church around and say, listen, there's a whole heap of projects that we need to do that just can't happen out of our regular tithes and offerings. They're just too expensive. We need to upgrade our parking lot. How many of you know our parking lot needs some love? There's potholes out there. I'm sure there are people that should be in church today, right here, right now, and they've probably got their car in the pothole trying to get out to get to church. We need lights out there to keep people safe at night. 
We need to upgrade our children's facilities to let our children know that they matter to God. We need a fresh sign on the front of the building. Our lobby needs to be redone. There's cracks in the, in the, the concrete and different areas that we need. There's a whole heap of projects that we need to do to be able to lift up our facility when people walk through the door that they feel welcome and we present a house that's clean, that's tidy, that's functional, that looks good, that, that doesn't look like they've been captured and taken into a time warp, that we say to people, you matter and we want to build a house that you can invite your friends to and they will come and feel comfortable in the house of God. That's our Jerusalem. Then our Judea is the going out into the community. Word of Life Christian Academy does that. Our school, our business leaders network. You heard about it on church news today. June 24 is our Hope Expo. We feel a mandate to minister to the poor, to the broken, to the needy. Scripture is pretty clear. You can be divided on doctrine. You can't be divided on your choice to look after the poor. Paul and Peter had disagreements, but the one thing that they agreed on is like, you reach the Gentiles, I'll reach the Jews, but you know what we both need to do? No matter where they're at, we need to reach the poor. And that's what we need to do as word of life. We don't have a monopoly on doctrine, but what we need to do is say, you know what, we may be different than everybody else, but together we need to minister to the poor. And so that's what we're doing. The poor, the broken, the lonely, the hurting. We've got a bus out there that we're going to renovate and put some like cafe seating in. And our goal would be to drive that into areas where there's homeless people and feed the homeless, take it into poor neighborhoods and feed children that can't afford to have a a meal. These are things that we're doing to reach our Judea. These are things that we're not doing at the moment, but we are going to do together. Our Samaria is the greater area. We support Chi Alpha. We support FCA, Teen Challenge. Our goal is to plant campuses. We are called to be an apostolic center. Our long-term goal would be to see children come in at K, go through to graduate at 12, go out of there and go to Ascent Bible College, which is basing at our church in the near future over the next few months. It's going to base here at Word of Life, train men and women up out of there to go into ministry, plant churches, send missionaries, be able to impact the world around us. God has given us a vision to be an apostolic center. And then go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, that one word of life we've been pretty good at for a long time. We are still in the top 20 mission-giving churches in the United States of America in Assembly of God World Missions. And so we, we support over 85 missionaries in the Assembly of God World Missions that we send money to and support on a monthly basis. But then we have a whole heap of internal projects. Some of the things I think God's just opening the door to. Anna and I went to Ghana in February. Was it February. And, uh, and we felt that was a God moment. God started to speak to me about partnering with the Assemblies of God in Ghana to help plant churches. I had lunch yesterday with a, a gentleman in our church that has a heart and a passion for Ghana. Met with a woman just a couple of days ago who uh, has a heart to raise up businesses in Ghana. I'm like, okay, God, these are just not, you know, random circumstances. This is you speaking to us as a church to have a heart for Ghana. So we're going to go back. We're going to plant churches. We're going to release ministries. We're going to see God do great things. January next year, we're going to go to Ethiopia and see what doors God opens up in Ethiopia. I think it's time for us to raise up people from our family and to plant, not just to send money to strangers, but to raise up people in our own church family and plant and see God impact and change the world around us. We're going back to El Salvador this year. We're going back to Peru this year. And uh, and then in uh, November, December, not a missions trip, but a prayer trip, we're going to Israel. 
We're taking a team or tour to Israel. If you want to be a part of that, there's brochures in the lobby with all the costs and all the, it's a prayer retreat and going and seeing the sights. And when I think about it, 75th birthday and us at 75, I think that God may do something significant when we go to Israel together in November, December this year. God is sending us to the uttermost parts of the earth. Why? Because God wants to do something massively in our life. And again, the objective is not to be overwhelmed with the challenge, but to be overshadowed by the Spirit. Because it'd be too easy to sit back and go, whoa, that is a heck of a lot of things. But I've learned about God is when we've said we can do it, God's already like waiting for us to do it so he can give us more of what he wants us to do. The Bible says God is doing exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything you could hope, think. I think uh, one translation says, or dare to imagine. So as soon as you can think it, God is beyond it. As soon as you can think it, God is beyond it. So we have the past that we've, we've lived in, done and dusted. We have the present. This is our moment to sow. This is our moment to do. This is our moment to grow. We have our vision. They're the things that we see. I'm lining out many of those things. We don't have a bus right now that's set up to feed the poor, but we're talking about why because we can see it. That's a vision. We don't have it. One day that will become our reality, but now it's a vision because we can see it. We can describe it. We can define what we're going to do. Then a dream is something out here that we sit back and go, I know God wants us to do it, but we have no idea how he wants us to do it. Visions and dreams. But then there's a whole heap of stuff out here that God's just reserved for him. And he said, oh, I, I will give you that if you can do all of this. If you can do all of this, I'll give you that. I can't give you that until you've done all of this. So our job is to rise up to the occasion. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them, do not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Luke 24, 49, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Acts 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Word of Life Church, it's not our responsibility to be overwhelmed by the challenge to go, but it's our responsibility to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit as we wait. It's our responsibility to learn how to wait on the presence of God. At the crosswalk of ministry, there's a wait sign and there's a walk sign. And sometimes it's time to walk and sometimes it's time to wait, but we get the walk and we get the wait that takes the journey on. And so if we're walking right now, maybe God says it's time to wait. Then we wait and God's gonna say it's time to walk, but he doesn't tell you to consistently walk without waiting. He definitely doesn't tell you to consistently wait without walking. We wait on him so we can walk. Isaiah chapter 40 says, but they who wait, everyone say wait. Those who wait for the Lord. The prayer mat is God's launching pad for kingdom advancement. That waiting on God, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, it says in Psalm 130, verse 5 to 6. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning. Micah 7, I will wait for the God of my salvation. Exodus chapter 24, verse 12, come up 
on the mountain, God says, and wait there. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Psalm 31, 24, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait on the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31, but they who wait upon the Lord. There's one thing to go, but there's another time to wait. And we get our strength from God by waiting on the Lord. The word wait literally means a mass gathering that's coming together because of a central force. That you've got all these things happening out here and then it puts it in like a, like a turbine and spun around and it comes together and it becomes one matter. God's saying, I want you to do that. All the things in life, come in and wait. And I, it's like a rope where the strands are together or a, or a spider's web that's been spun and all the threads end up making the spider web. God's saying, I want you to come and entwine yourself with me. Like marble cake. You can't see where God begins and where you begin. You just spend so much time waiting on him. It's time, church, that we spend time waiting on God. We're so busy doing that we spend little time being. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we wait on God when we chuck a quick prayer up. My prayer life and my Bible life does not consist in my driving of my car from my house to the church. Now, I pray and I listen to my Bible and, and I, I'll play worship music. I try not to drive and close my eyes with the worship music, but I play worship music. But that is not my quiet time with God. That's just me talking to God. Because if I did that to Anna, if I said, Anna, our life is crazy, I'm going to take you on a date. And she's like, where are we going to go, honey? I said, well, we're driving to the church. We can chat on our way. So if that was the time, chatting to Anna on the way from our house to church, the 20-minute drive, an hour and a half in peak hour traffic, if that was, that was our date night, I, I don't think our relationship would be really strong if that was my level of romance towards my wife. I need to cut time out and wait on her. And God's saying that to us. When you wait on the Lord, it's not... It's not the drive. It's not, not chatting to him. All those things are good. We should talk to God when we drive. We should listen to all the, read your Bible. All those things are good. For me, reading the Bible is not even reading the Bible to get messages so I can preach to you. I got to have time reading the Bible so God can just speak to John Morgan and tell me what to do. So I got to spend time that's not connected to my work, that's disconnected from everything I do and just wait on the Lord. Then there's time for church that I wait on God for the message and wait on God for his presence. But we've got to spend time entwining ourselves and engaging. See, God said to go into all the world and we're like this sponge. You go out into the workplace and somebody at work shares an issue and you want to pray for them. But you know, if you pray for them, there's nothing going to come out. You're dry. You've been to church, popped in, popped out. Maybe you go once a month, once every two months, once every four weeks. You pop in, pop out. Don't really have a prayer life. Don't read your Bible. Don't spend any time worship. Don't create any atmosphere where you're waiting. And so you're a Christian. You're going to heaven. Ooh, you're going to go to heaven. Pearly gate. Ooh, in there. Ooh, party with everybody. But on earth, you're dry. 
The disciples were dry. Jesus said, you're dry. But those who wait on the Lord, who soak themselves in the presence of God, who just get lost in prayer, get lost in worship. Right now with a sponge in this water, it's hard to tell. Is the water in the sponge or is the sponge in the water? That's waiting on the Lord. Is the water in the sponge or is the sponge in the water? Are you in God's presence or is God's presence in you? That's what waiting on the Lord is. And then when you come up from waiting on the Lord, then you should be dripping his presence. There's there's just a flow that comes out of you, dripping his presence. Then somebody at work says, hey, can can you minister to me? Can you pray for me? Then you say, sure. And you know it's not your power. I know if you pray for me that, that, that you've got a headache and I pray for you in my power, I know you're going to leave that prayer with a migraine. But when I pray for you in the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe that God's power can be poured out. When you're talking to your friends, God's power. When you're in a debate with somebody at work who says God's not real, you need God's power to be pouring out out of your life. And it only comes when we soak ourselves, when you wait upon the Lord. That's what God has called us to do. Isaiah chapter 40 says, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So God himself, the creator, he doesn't faint, He doesn't grow weary. He doesn't lack strength or lack power. And he gives power to the faint, those who want to quit. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. So maybe you're like, man, I I don't feel powerful. I've made some mistakes. I've done some things wrong. But God says, come on, wait on me. I've got the power and I'll give you my power. This is exactly where the disciples felt powerless. But if they would just wait, they already had the authority to go, but they didn't have the power. They didn't match authority with power. Go, there's the authority. All authority is being given to me, you go. But they don't have the power to match the authority that God says, I'm going to give you the power. What you're waiting for, your expectation, and what you're waiting on, your focus is going to determine where you end up. So the devil's always trying to get our focus. God wants us to go into all the world. The devil doesn't want you to go into anywhere. He wants you to shut up at work. It's a funny thing to me. I've seen about this week how society tells you as a Christian, shut up, don't say anything, you can't talk, you should be guilty even if you mention Jesus. And has no issue preaching their gospel to you. No issue telling you what they believe. No issue telling you why you're wrong. No issue putting on their agenda. As soon as you mention your agenda, you know, somewhere in our spirit, we're going to realize that we've got the answer, that we've got, we've got the word of God, that we've got the promise, we've got hope and not to be intimidated by it. This is what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to sit down and get you incapacitated where you do nothing. Psalm 1, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the pathway of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The first thing the devil wants to do is get your mindset. He wants you to get thinking of the wrong thing. 
to get your mind off God and get your mind on self. Get your mind off, off, off God's things and get your mind on the movie, your mind on sport, mind on anything else except God. Anything else he can get you to focus on. It's not all bad. It's not all terrible. It's not all evil. But just get your mind off thinking. Don't think about God. Think about this. Don't think about God. Think about food. Don't think about God. Think about work. Don't think about God. Think about your problems. Don't think about God. Think about the, the challenge that you. He tries to get your mind off that. But the Bible says here that we are meditate in the law of God day and night, wait on him. And then when you're meditating on the wrong thing, you start to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Now you start to walk with ungodly thoughts, walk with all sorts of thoughts that lead you away. You're too busy to pray. You're too busy to worship. You're too busy to read the word. You're too busy to go to church. There's too many things for you to go to church every week and give God an hour and a half every week, an hour and a half every week in church. He, he gives you 24 hours a day, but to give you an hour and once a week, you, and Sunday, once an hour, and this is too much. He gets you to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He's gonna put people in your path to give you ungodly thoughts. He's going to put people in your path to tell you you're no good. He's going to put people in your path to tell you you're hopeless. He's going to put people in your path to tell you you're not going to make it. You're going to be nothing. You don't, need to, you don't need to speak. You don't need to talk. You just need to sit down. He's going to put people in your path to shut you up. Do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly because what will happen? You'll end up standing in the pathway of the sinner. You'll end up losing your momentum and standing in the pathway of the sinner. And what's the end result? Sitting in the seat of the scornful. Where you sit down and you're bitter and you're angry and you're judging everybody. You're just scornful. You're just angry. You, you judge our church for things that we didn't do, but some other church did. Instead of receiving the word of God, you're trying to give it a mark out of 10. Some of you are so immobilized with things in the, in the kingdom. You're going to go home and you're going to be sitting in the seat of the scornful. I don't like when they said that. I don't like it. He said, oh, we talked about money in the offering today. They always want to talk about money. Horrible place to be, the seat of the scornful. If that's you, get up. Get up out of the seat. The enemy's trying to incapacitate you. Look at God, even you shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. In other words, God says, I know life's gonna be tough. I know there's gonna be battles. I know there's times that you're gonna sit down and there's times that you can't walk. I know those things are there, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God's objective is to get you to start seated instead of ending up seated. You're seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father with all authority and all power at salvation. He said, I want you to go and sit and wait until you're filled with power from on high. The waiting on the Lord takes time for us to sit. But we're not sitting there to criticize and we're not sitting there to moan and we're not sitting there to judge. We're sitting there to get filled with the presence of God. And then he says that you can walk and you'll never quit. That it gives you the ability when you get strengthened to get up and start walking. Colossians chapter two says, therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, walk in 
him. Galatians 6 verse 9, don't grow weary in well-doing, but in due season you will reap if you do not give up. We can run the race with endurance. So walk and not quit, run with endurance. Hebrews chapter 12 said, lay aside sin and weight that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race of faith. And then look what he says. You will mount up with what? Wings of eagles. See, God says, I want you to start being seated in my presence so you can start to walk and not get discouraged and not get weary because it's going to be it's going to be tough. But it's sometimes, hey, I, I want you to run, you to pick up the momentum. It's okay to walk back there, but come on, let, let let's run, let's let's get a bit of pace on here. There's things let's things to do, and you can run with endurance. You you're not going to quit, lay aside the sin and start to run. And then God says, but if you'll spend time in my presence, there's going to come a time where you mount up with wings like eagles, and you start to soar instead of being seated. In the scornful, you start to soar on eagles' wings. You start to see things like you never saw them before. You start to get a perspective like you've never had before. And you know, when eagles start flying, they just look so effortless as they're carried by the wind. That's what God wants to do. He wants to bring you into a place where you are carried by the wind of the Holy Spirit, carried by His power. And so Jesus told the disciples, wait. Now, I'm going to call you to walk. At some point, you're going to have to run. And if you want to go to the outermost parts of the earth, you better learn how to fly because it's a long walk. The challenge lays in our patience to wait, our desire to wait, our willingness to wait, our priority to wait. The band can come up. Look what happened on the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What we learned from Pentecost Sunday is 120 people positioned themselves to receiving from God. 120 people showed up together. They said, we don't understand what all this means. We know Joel prophesied it. I think Peter said, and suddenly there came a sound. I would have used the word eventually because it just seems to take some time. But 120 gathered together to wait on the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit was poured out. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? You know, the sad thing about all of that is Jesus appeared to 500 people, showed them the scars, talked to them, invited them to come to the party. 500 people. 500 people. And we know some of them doubted because even when Jesus showed up in his resurrected body, they were doubting. 500. I want to say 500. How many people turned up? 120. 380 people had something better to do. 380 missed it. Now, maybe some of the 380 just came late. Maybe they had a habit of just turning up to church a little bit late every week. And so they meant, meant to be there on time, 
but the Holy Spirit was poured out at 11.30 and they turned up at 11.45 and they missed it by 15 minutes. And I wonder if those people were the people that were like, what is happening? Because the Bible says that they were amazed and perplexed and trying to work it out. What, what's going on? Like, what do, we, what do we miss? Like, we're only 15 minutes late, but what do we... Suddenly there came a sound. Not eventually, not over. Suddenly there came tongues of fire and they walked in to celebrate. And whoa, tongues of fire on people's head. And they saw burning, but not burning. And, 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 and God, and they're speaking it, the oracles of God in languages that they didn't understand. Other people, the religious people like, man, that's not God, that's all hype. That's all phony, that's not true. 380 people had something better to do. Maybe there's a whole stack of them that couldn't be that day because their kid had a soccer game. And even though Jesus told them to go and wait, they're like, yeah, we're okay to wait, but we've got the soccer game. Nothing wrong with the soccer game. Nothing wrong with sport. But Jesus said, I want you to slice off some time just to wait on the Holy Spirit. I know your life is busy. I know you've got other things, but I want you to slice up some time and I want you to come and wait until you're filled with power from on high and I'll do that. And 120 got filled. And for the rest of their life, they're able to talk about what they did. In eternity, thousands of years from now, We'll be sitting around in heaven making s'mores over the fires of hell. No, it's not going to happen. I was trying to work out where to get the s'mores burning and that was what came to my mind. Maybe, maybe there's a little fire up there in heaven. We're sitting around, we're just hanging out. And you're like, what did you, what, 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 what did you do? You're in heaven? Yeah, man, I was there on the day of Pentecost. You're in the 120? We're just waiting, bro. Didn't really know what to do. And all of a sudden, we're speaking the oracles of God in foreign languages. All of a sudden, like, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You were to believe in him. You'll not perish, but have everlasting life. Really? Then turn to somebody else and go, what did you do? Missed it by that much. Nearly there. Though we were busy getting Cheetos. Can we stand together? Holy Spirit, pour your spirit out on us right now as we worship. Can we worship God together? We worship God together.